1600 KIVA, BQ.FM, I'm Eddie Aragon. Straight talk with Jay Freak. Jeffrey Candelaria starts right now here on this wonderful Saturday afternoon, second Saturday in the month of December. Hope you and yours are enjoying the Christmas time holiday. And uh, Jeffrey's here with the hardest hitting, straightest interviews that you'll get anywhere on this side of the Rio Grande right here with uh, Jeff Candelaria. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. Merry Christmas, Eddie, and uh, to all of our listeners on Kiva 1600 AM. Don't forget, if you uh, have a smartphone, download the Rock of Talk app on your phone. Yeah. You can listen to uh, all the programming. I know I do. I got my wife to do that now. Wow. We're, we're out and about. I, we get on the Rock of Talk uh, app, and we can listen to programming on our smartphones. And then you can get the replays as well. Don't forget, you can get Jeffrey's uh, replays of these shows directly on the app uh, as well. And I should say one other thing that's uh, pretty cool that Jeffrey and I go way back and being multi-generational New Mexicans or Nuevo Mexicanos. Feliz Navidad. There we go. Feliz Navidad. I just had to get Absolutely. You know, I had the uh, pleasure, quick story before I uh, introduce my guest, of actually producing Jose Feliciano in concert. Really? When I worked at the Hispano Chamber. And, of course, he played that song because it was around the Christmas time period. Yeah. You know, Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Let me tell you, that guy, one of the nicest human beings and... Obviously, our listeners probably know he's blind and has been blind uh, or was blind from birth, but his guitar acumen was at the level of like a Segovia, the Spanish oh, wow. guitar. Yeah, Andres you know, Segovia. And it, just an incredibly uh, capable musician and, and wonderful human being, Jose Great uh, Feliciano. Again, Eddie Aragon, thank you for producing this show and pushing all the buttons and levers and hosting, uh, hosting this radio platform called Kiva 1600 AM. Uh, Eddie does a great job of bringing uh, a number of uh, hosts who endeavor to bring enlightenment and truth, uh, whatever that means, to our listeners. Uh, before I introduce my guest, I'd like to recognize Fundaxi. Of course, anybody out there listening that wants to create a fundraising event and or host a fundraising event, either or, uh, you can get a hold of me and or my partner, her name is Rebecca Chavez, and so we run this Fundaxi apparatus through Pizza 9, and it's our way of giving back philanthropically to the community. So again, if you want to host a fundraising event, nothing's too small, nothing's too big, or if you want to create a fundraising event, we can uh, put that apparatus together. Her name is Rebecca Chavez regarding fundraising. It's called Fundaxi. Her office number 505 or 505. O is a letter, 505-217-1970, okay? So again, Rebecca Chavez uh, is the leader of our Fundaxi fundraising effort through Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Just let her know that you heard about us through uh, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Once again, her phone number, 505-315-9729. That's her cell number. Again, 505-315-9729. And by the way, this next Wednesday, we will be hosting at Pizza 9 in Rio Rancho a fundraiser for a Juario Hernandez. He died in a snowboarding accident just past weekend. And, of course, our condolences to his family. He was an emergency medical person. And, unfortunately, of course, he died tragically in a snowboarding accident. We're raising funds for his family at the Rio Rancho Pizza 9 on December 15th, Wednesday. If you'd like more information, get a hold of Rebecca Chavez. Let her know you heard about it. 
through Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Her cell number, 505-315-9729. Once again, if you're interested in a fundraising event, give us a call and we'll take care of it. All right, let's get into my uh, today's guest and we're going to talk about multiple topics. We've heard, of course, about the Chinese virus and COVID over the last two years, almost at nauseum. It's shut down businesses. It's really impacted all of our lives, notwithstanding our stripe or station in life. Of course, we knew the first uh, variant manifested. Then there was the pernicious Delta variant. And now, of course, we've got this thing called Omicron. So we're going to really, again, dissect and disassemble what this Omicron uh, virus looks like. It's a another incarnation of the original a virus called, uh, well, I call it the Chinese virus, with my guest. And we're going to talk about a number of other uh, topics throughout the next uh, 49, 50 minutes. My guest is Dr. Eric Dahl. He's the co-owner of Apollo Chiropractic, also a ex-service uh, person who served in the Air Force. We appreciate your service to our country. But he's also a very learned guy, so he's not just a chiropractor. He is very well-versed in multiple topics and really understands his patient's well-being from the perspective of not just a chiropractor, but the holistic uh, thing called our our physiological kind of, you know, apparatus called the human body and the human experience because there's a psychology to everything that goes on when we're ill or obviously when we're healthy. Welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, Dr. Eric Dahl. Uh, Thank you, Jeffrey. Appreciate being here and I'm uh, glad we're of a single mind about O's and zeros. Oh yes. Yes. And I've, I had, I am actually running a commercial (laughs) and I actually cite a person's phone number, my sponsor. And I think I say, Oh, like five Oh five and it's actually five zero five. So it's not an O is a, is a letter and a, um, a zero is, is, is of course a a numeral was actually invented by the Arabic culture some 2,500 years ago. Yes, indeed. In fact, our numbering system is is uh, uh, Arabic numerals. Absolutely. And the word algebra is a Persian, I think, word. And algebra is, again, another variation of mathematics that the our Arab friends invented yes. about two, three, two, 2,800 years ago, if I remember well, my history. Yes, well, and uh, I'm kind of a math geek anyway, and I know we're already off topic here, but uh, yes, algebra uh, basically is an Arabic word that uh, means to find the undisco- undiscoverable. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of Nancy Pelosi's brain. <laughs> Just kidding. And also the other interesting word that comes from that same time frame, again, we're digressing, <laughs> but this is a straight talk with Jeffrey Gandler, is the word pajama. That's another Persian Arabic word. Uh-huh. And I believe it means relaxation, but the pajama is another Arabic term. Isn't well, that interesting? That is interesting. I hadn't thought of that before, but that's probably true. The things you learn on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candler. So before we get into talking about Omicron, Delta, and what a virus is, because, you know, too often our policymakers or our talking heads on Fox or CNBC or whomever, they talk and use all this nomenclature, you know, like various and Delta and, you know, antibody, whatever. And, I think we should ask them to do a better job of describing basic fundamental definitions of what all that stuff is, because I think there were a lot yes. of assumptions out there. Yes, so indeed. before we move into that topic, where we want to start and kind of preface health with seasonal, what I call seasonal health, just like our automobiles, we, we make adjustments to our automobiles based on 
how things change, hot, cold, all that kind of thing. When people move into, you know, from summer to fall, now we're getting into winter and it's getting a lot right. colder. As a doctor, as a chiropractor, you see different manifestations of people's health seasonally. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, and that is one of the interesting things about being in the healthcare uh, profession, uh, whether you're a medical doctor, a chiropractor, acupuncturist, um, that uh, the seasons do affect how uh, people's health goes and the different types of of uh, conditions and complaints that people have throughout the year. Uh, they definitely follow a cyclical pattern uh, according to the season. And so uh, at this time of year, typically what we uh, find is the weather has gotten colder and uh, a little bit uh, less activity outside. People tend to basically say they feel a little more stiff, a little more tired, uh, a little lower on energy. And so it just kind of goes in, in, in cycles as we get towards the springtime. Uh, in summertime, people, uh, the weekend athletes, uh, will find ways to injure themselves and they may end up with more, uh, injury type of, type of complaints. But even the non-athletes, so again, straight talk with Jeffrey Candler, my guest, Dr. Eric Dahl, even the non-athlete, the average, you know, John Q public, notwithstanding age, because it's colder, people are indoors more as opposed to being outside walking around that type of thing. So just by virtue of the, of the conditions, being inside means yes. people are going to probably be more sedentary and less exercise prone. Is that fair? That's, that's, that's absolutely true. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, something that, uh, many of us fall in, into, um, I don't want to call it a trap, but it's, uh, it's our, uh, adaptation to the environment and the lifestyle and that, uh, some, some, uh, people like, uh, and I, I know like yourself, you're an avid, uh, workout athlete. And, uh, so you find a way to go outside every day. I do. In fact, before the show today, I went and ran three miles, not to impress anybody. I'm just saying I did it. And it was very difficult because it's cold. It's a little windy. Right. And it, it's, it's hard to do that. But, you know, folks that are serious about dieting and, and, and owning their health, and, you know, we've talked about this before on other shows, doctor, the word commitment to a lifestyle has to take place. Because, right. you know, I, it, it's really annoying for me when I, when I watch or hear a radio spot or a TV spot that talks about lose 30 pounds in 60 days. Well, my question is, what do you do the 61st day? Right. In other words, you as a doctor understand health is something that people need to commit to as a lifestyle. Right. It can't be something ephemeral or just some thing I do, lose five pounds, then, you know, you, you have this panacea effect, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and so the, the, um, Commitment to the lifestyle is, is really the only way to, to maintain uh, long-term health. And that includes not only the exercise, but uh, our, our dietary choices, our choices in uh, how much rest we get at night, uh, our choices in our uh, mental state. Uh, you know, are we going to take enough time to, to meditate and, and pray to make sure that our spiritual side is, is healthy? I mean, there's a whole, you know, the life encompasses everything. Yeah. It's just not the physical aspect. Yeah. And so, but the commitment to, to all those, all those aspects has to be present to, to be truly healthy. So the other thing that happens to the population, particularly in Western culture, last I checked, America is still part of that construct. It gets cold. People are indoors more. Now you add the layer of the Chinese virus where people are even more reticent about going out, particularly mm -hmm. older populations. Then you add the layer of Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and, you know, uh, Christmas and all of these where you have food right. that's generally comfort food, quote unquote, that's generally more caloric and dense in nature. 
So you're going to have weight gain. I was just citing an article. You have it in for, in front of you. Right. So it's not just anecdotal. No. That cites that people have gained weight during COVID and then traditionally anyway, because of the season called Christmas, holiday, whatever, Thanksgiving, right. people generally gain weight more there as well. So you're layering all these different constructs right. that loan themselves to gaining more weight. So Talk a little bit about some of that. Doctor. Right. And, 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 and it's generally true. Um, and, and really you can, I, in my opinion, you can label the, the start of the holiday season begins with, uh, with, uh, Halloween because we have this, uh, 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 whole season that begins with Halloween, which is, is sugary foods and high caloric foods, low nutrition foods. And we just, uh, allow ourselves and encourage ourselves and more alcohol and more alcohol. And, uh, they, they, and, so, and so we're having all these empty calories without the nutrition. And it's a proven fact that um, if you eat nutritionally dense foods, your appetite is less because your body is actually getting the nutrients it needs. And so the kind of diet and lifestyle that we tend to, and it, it, it's as much sociocultural as, as it is anything from uh, Halloween through the New Year's, is to be social with food that is of, of high calories, low nutrition, and so we tend to overeat and gain more calories than we burn. And then we're also inside more because we're not outside exercising. And so that, you know, we're not, we're not burning off those calories. My guest is Dr. Eric Dahl. He is the co-owner of Apollo Chiropractic. I usually have him on every couple of months. He, he's really well-versed and, and, and really well-informed about the state of our holistic health, not just through, as a, through the prism of a chiropractor, but he really understands the human body. Nutrition is one of your other expertise disciplines. And again, we're talking about how the Chinese virus coupled with getting colder, coupled with comfort food, holidays, folks have gained more weight. And, you know, to kind of mitigate that, and again, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Thank you for tuning in. We're with you every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. Tell your friends. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, give me a call. Let me know. You can get a hold of me at Jeffrey, J-F-F-R-E-Y dot candy, like the Snickers bar, 77 at gmail.com, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor the show, let me know. But, you know, I was reading ways to mitigate gaining weight, and some of those uh, factors include, again, making a commitment, you the individual, mm -hmm. uh, understanding you're going to be indoors, exposed to a lot of comfort food, high caloric, sugary, more alcohol. Two, weighing yourself every day, extremely important. So yes. weighing yourself every day. But the other thing is that people don't talk about is there's a sociological, psychological pressure when you're at a Thanksgiving meal dinner mm -hmm. to get, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and taste grandma's cake and taste Aunt Cecilia's pie and have a drink with Uncle Buster. There's almost this pressure to have this enormous, colossal intake of calories. And when you push back, whoever you is, right, you've got to have a little self discipline, self-courage, and, and conviction, right? To right. say, with all respect, Aunt Cecilia, I love you, but I, I don't want to eat any more pie or I don't want to taste pie or whatever. Right. So, I mean, the psychology of food is something we don't talk enough about in our society, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And 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 food in, in, in our culture, in our society, and, you know, this goes way back, you know, centuries, uh, millennia, that uh, food is uh, a, a sociocultural means of, bonding and communication. And so the fact that we spend it at this time of the year so doing so much socializing, it's expected that we consume food along the way. 
And so, you know, the, and I don't, you know, really chastise or, or, you know, criticize people too much for the big Thanksgiving meal, that, and that sort of thing. And what we need to kind of keep in perspective is that if we're going to do those sorts of things, which are wonderful ways to bond with, with people and family, maybe plan those meals that you, and instead of, you know, having a constant intake of, of calories over that period of time that you, well, for Thanksgiving day, maybe that is your only meal of the day. Yeah. Um, and then maybe the day after you only have one or two moderate meals yeah. to, to, to buy back those calories that you consumed. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a strategy. And again, you know, I get folks ridicule me cause I'm so circumspect about my weight and it's a function of my being ridiculed as a kid cause I was a little bit chubby and I mm-hmm. liked girls and the, my, the, a teacher embarrassed me in front of the girl I liked and it had a psychological scar, but I use that scar for goodness by, by being disciplined and circumspect. And one of the strategies I use is two days before Thanksgiving, I eat pretty much just salads. Right. Right. And so Thanksgiving day, I can kind of pile on, but I also talk to my aunt who always makes this pie Mm -hmm. or cake. I think it's a cake. And I tell her beforehand, I'm not going to taste your cake because I I just, uh, it's too caloric. And she kind of, but I, I'm, 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 it's a serious thing. I mean, it right. sounds funny, but people sometimes at a meal like that right. feel pressured to have to taste everything. Right. And it's really to your deleterious, harmful, you know, effect, it negative is. effect. Right, right. And, and you know, the food tastes good. Uh, uh, but uh, one thing to also recognize, not only you know, we're looking at calorie-dense food, perhaps not uh, very nutritious food, but many of those foods that we consumed in that period of time, particularly uh, foods like potatoes, uh, tomatoes, uh, foods that are considered what's called the nightshade family, are actually extremely inflammatory to the body. And so we're actually putting um, inflammation stress and oxidative stress on the body, which if you're not having a very nutritious diet or supplementation program, you're actually causing physical damage to your body. So potatoes and, and tomatoes, two very staple foods in our collective, you know, mainstream yes. meal menu right. are inflammatory oriented? Yes. Uh, and they're, they're called members of the nightshade family. Uh, we know nightshade to be a, a poisonous uh, plant, uh, but there are, are subspecies and, and related cousin species in the nightshades, uh, such as potato. And, and this, unfortunately, mostly in the Mexican diet here, but uh, we're talking potatoes, peppers, which includes our famous green chili peppers, uh, uh, tomatoes, squashes, and uh, uh, cucumbers and zucchinis, which is a squash. All those actually have, are very high in a, uh, and it's protective to the plant, it's a protective protein called lectin. And lectins, when we consume a lot of lectins, uh, are actually inflammatory to the body and produce oxidative stress and damage to our uh, cells down at the cell, our tissues down at the cellular level. And again, my guest is Dr. Eric Dahl, co-owner of Apollo Chiropractic. When you go see him, he will also consult with your, your, you know, your diet, your lifestyle, and and obviously treat you as well through a regiment. He is my chiropractor. What's your contact information again? Yes, uh, I'm Dr. Eric Dahl at Apollo Chiropractic Health and Wellness, and our phone number is 505-792-3311, and we're located in Albuquerque's West Side. And we're talking about holistic health on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Uh, obviously, food is. Uh, the nutrition that we 
you know, occupy our bodies with three or four times a day, depending on who you are out there in radio land, listener land. But inflammation is at the heart of so many maladies, right? Inflammation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and inflammation, uh, a lot of it is um, our Western lifestyle, our West Western diet. And the exposures that we have in our environment, uh, anything from uh, air pollution to the chemicals we put in water, uh, you know, our chemical, our, our, our tap water is basically chemically treated with chlorine and fluorine, which are very inflammatory to the body, even though they might be in microgram amounts, uh, those are still chemicals that are hard on the body. And uh, so, we, you know, when you look at everything you eat and consume, and then, of course, when you talk about drinking soft drinks, just the pure sugar that you get um, uh, out, of, out of soft drink, which is typically made from high fructose corn syrup versus uh, sucrose, which you'd get out of cane sugar. High fructose corn syrup is inflammatory to the body, again, down at the cellular level. And so your body is constantly having to uh, fight these inflammatory um, agents. agents and chemicals. And so that in and of itself requires energy of the body. That's why we tend to overeat because our bodies are constantly demanding energy to fight off the inflammation that we that yeah. we're putting ourselves under. So again, folks, just remember, again, we're not trying to be too cynical or too negative here. We're just giving you the reality of how things play out in the uh, you know, the, the the physics of nutrition, the physics of our body. Because everything's kind of a I always tell people it always comes down to physics, everything. Right. Of course there's a spiritual dimension to things, but I tend to be more pragmatic. So inflammation, again, is what we're, we're kind of talking about at this right. particular point. So what are some foods or some things people can do to organically or naturally kind of retard, you know, inflammatory uh, episodes in our, in our daily life? Okay. Well, uh, let me just go ahead and, and mention kind of the, uh, the nightshades uh, that I had mentioned previously. Um, where we tend to find most of the lectins is where the, you'd, you would expect the insects would, would first penetrate the, the, the fruit of the plant. And so typically the skins uh, of, of the um, uh, nightshade family is where most of your inflammatory chemicals are. So by cooking and de-skinning your uh, uh, tomatoes and peppers and squashes, uh, when you get into the flesh of the food that uh, and, and remove the, the seeds of these foods tend to be inflammatory as well. So if you remove everything except the flesh of the food and have it well cooked, you greatly reduce the amount of infla inflammation that you're taking in from the nightshades. Um, so that's not just some wives' tale about eating the skins being good for you because, you know, we'd always hear, eat the skin, it's good for you. It actually yeah. has... Not only nutritional, though, but it, it'll retard inflammation as well? No, actually, the skins will in, in increase the inflammation. Oh, it'll, it'll enhance. Enhance the inflammation. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and so that's, uh, you know, hatching your, your you know, our green chilies uh, every year. You know, we hatch those chilies to kind of burn the outside of the skin, soften them, and ideally we peel those skins off the chilies before we eat them. And so it, when you cook, cook uh, peppers and chilies and those sorts of things, ideally you want to have them de cooked and de-skinned and de-seeded and eating the flesh of the of, of the uh, of the vegetable is much healthier for you than eating the entire vegetable. Okay, so the skins, I stand corrected, are actually, you know, they're they're going to augment or increase inflammatory episodes. So right. Just be aware of that, folks. Again, straight talk with Jeffrey Candler. My guest is Doctor Eric Dahl. Let's also now move into the psychology of food, the psychology of excuse me, the psychology of moving from one season to another. I know, for example, mm -hmm. my wife is from Seattle, 
And it is absolutely true, me being a Sun person, it's not just anecdotal. We we go to Seattle, and I get depressed because it's just cloudy. Yep. It's rainy. Uh, it, there happens to be more suicides per capita, I think, in Portland and Seattle than other areas of the world. So the season, the environment, the psychology of our outdoor experience, and then you add seasons to it, which we cannot control, right. ha- add to the psychology of how we interpret the world and our human experience, right? Absolutely. And and uh, and I didn't know that about your wife, but I, I grew up in Washington State as well. And so I, I very much understand the, the psychology of the cold, wet, and rainy season that people do get depressed. And at, uh, you, are, you are right about Portland and Seattle, and unfortunately, there, there, there are higher suicide rates. Um, I grew up in a little town, actually the highest suicide rate per capita is up in Washington state, uh, a little town called Aberdeen. And I see Kurt Cobain on your back window there. Yeah. And, uh, he was from Aberdeen and, you know, fantastic, incredible genius, uh, musician. Unfortunately, he suffered depression and, yeah. and committed suicide. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, and I hate to say except that's somewhat in the nature of, of, uh, people that grew up in that area, but it's, it's not unusual. Yeah. And so the way our bodies are affected by uh, seasons, especially sunlight, uh, has a profound effect on our, our mental health. Yeah, there's a chemical reaction to sun, too, in our body, right? Oh, there absolutely is. And, in fact, the uh, you know, we should ideally be dosing our body, even during the wintertime, and especially here in New Mexico where the weather is pretty good. Uh, if you can find a, a, a calm place, even in the wintertime, take off your shirt, expose your back or your chest to 20 minutes of sunlight, your legs, your thighs, the major skin areas, um, 20 minutes uh, sunlight between 10 and 2 a.m., you're going to get all the natural vitamin D you need. And that also actually helps uh, the chemicals of the brain uh, and, and your nervous system to be more balanced and that you are, have a better sense of your body's circadian rhythms, which affects our mood tremendously. Yeah, because our body, again, folks, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, we're basically a chemistry setup carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Exactly. Yeah, I remember my chemistry. You, you folks, certainly Saint, do. That was, Pius. that was pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> I studied. I was sitting next to a good-looking redhead, so I was trying to impress her, so I studied to get an A, and yeah. I got an A-. A minus. She got an A plus. <laughs> but yeah, so again, the chemistry of the human condition is, you know, again, it's, it's carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Right. In, in various amounts, in various of proportions, yes. So again, the sun, vitamin D, interacts with our chemistry set called the human, you know, condition. Right. And it has, in this case, you know, positive uh, effects. Exactly. Exactly. And so, one of the things that as we transition from from the from the summer and the fall, the spring, summer, and uh, you know, part of the fall is that. Uh, we get, uh, you know, decreasing sunlight and the, and the rate of, of sunlight decrease, especially around the, the solstice period, uh, happens quickly. And so that's why our bodies tend to react very quickly around the solstice and into, into um, excuse me, the equinox into the solstice, uh, the, the fall equinox being in September and the uh, winter solstice in, in December. Our bodies have a lot less sunlight um, to properly adjust the circadian rhythm so it throws off our levels of serotonin in our body or levels of melatonin in our body or levels of dopamine. And so the, 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 those chemicals, those, those hormones that make us feel good and feel balanced are not properly 
balanced anymore uh, as the season changes. And so that's why we find ourselves, some people more than others, that will fall into depressive episodes. Yeah. And again, folks, we're not being cynical. We're negative. We're just telling you the, the chemistry and how it plays out in the human body. And we're talking about seasons and the actual chemical physiological impact it has on our bodies and then how it plays out psychologically. Right. We can gain weight. We can get depressed, whatever. So let's talk about, again, Eric Dahl's my uh, guest, Dr. Eric Dahl, co-owner of Apollo Chiropractic. I'm Jeffrey Candelaria. How can people kind of, I, I don't mean kind of, that sounds dumb, sorry. How do people work through that? process through some of this moving into winter, being exposed to food, COVID, you know, right. you add that psychological layer. How do people start, you know, kind of just powering through those, those negative conditional effects? Well, it, 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 the, the, the first way to really, as you say, power through those is to understand that this is, is something factual. It's not, not, something crazy in your head or yeah. that uh, it is something that happens. It is something that you can plan for. It is something that you can mitigate through a plan. And that, um, and, and we, we kind of said sidestep the actual condition. It's called seasonal affective disorder. Seasonal affective disorder. Right. And the, and, and it, the, the word it's affective, um, sad, sad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's kind of a term that, uh, a person's affect is their personality. Uh, how their how their their outward and inward personality so like the attitude attitude right and so the the that word affect it doesn't mean to you that you're going to affect a change it means it means a, how a, a psychologist would describe someone's someone's nature nature their attitude, pers- yes. their personality right right so the the seasonal aff- uh, affective disorder sad uh, means that you're having some sort of disorder in the affect of your personality yeah and that's that's the condition of the actual psychological conditions. And so being able to plan for, and, and we, we tend to know ourselves after a period of time that we might have the winter blues. It used to be called the winter blues. Um, but there are things that we can do to plan to get around that uh, to make things better. Number one, again, is recognizing that it is, it is a condition that is something that may affect you personally. Um, ways to get around it are to plan your activities. And, and so instead of allowing yourself to fall into a depressive episode or uh, a, li- a depressive lifestyle, have a plan. Plan you're going to do certain events during, during the, the fall and the winter and the, uh, up into the springtime. Give yourself a reward for accomplishing little goals along the way. Um, substitute uh, positive um, actions in, in place of food. Uh, and that, the reason I bring up food is because when we tend to eat, especially foods that are sweet, uh, or foods that um, uh, are desirable uh, in terms of pleasure, it uh, triggers a dopamine release in our brain. And dopamine is our little thank you hormone, that we've done something um, and we want to feel good, we get a shot of dopamine. And that's what food and sugary foods in particular do to our, our brain chemistry. So does sex do the same thing? Sex does the same thing. Okay. So you can reward yourself with an with a evening with your partner. Okay. Um, other things that can give you that dopamine release is going for a workout and, you know, or, 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 or making sure you get your 10,000 steps in whatever goal you set for yourself. Yeah. When a person achieves a goal or accomplishes an accomplishment, gives your brain that little sense of dopamine release. And what I try to remind folks along all these lines, 
because I try to be as disciplined as possible. Again, Jeffrey Candelari with, with uh, Dr. Eric Dahl is don't rely on other people to define your life. Right. And I know that's, you know, it, it sounds so obvious, but again, when, when I do something, like go to a meal, like Thanksgiving for Christmas, we're going to experience the same thing. Right. My brother's wife is going to make this cake thing from Kansas City. I, I'm not going to taste it. And I, and I told her, it's not because I'm trying to offend you. I just don't want to gain weight by eating all this cake. Besides, I've trained my mind right. not to like cake mm-hmm. for that very reason. I'm not insulting her, but I'm owning. Right. We're, what we're trying to say is own. We're espousing that people listening own their conviction to their health. Right. And don't apologize for it. Mm-hmm. Be respectful, but don't apologize for it. Because I just think sometimes... The psychology of just acquiescing to, oh, I've got to eat this cake. I've right. got to eat that pie. I've got to whatever because it was just in front of you. Right. It's almost like I don't want to insult the person who provided that cake, but at the same time, I've got to maintain some discipline and mm-hmm. circumspection about my own menu and my own health. Right. Right. And that's and that's a perfectly, perfectly great thing to do. And in, in you know, when you have a very disciplined, um, uh, mind and thought process and organization such as yourself, you're actually getting a little shot of dopamine when you can say no. Yeah. Because you've accomplished something. Well, there's power. There's power in, in that. owning right. your own conviction to life. Right. As long as you're not, you know, disrespecting other people or, you know, offending other people overtly. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's just one of those things. I think we, and I talk about this all the time on my show, possibly in it, you know, indirectly, our, our country, because of the Chinese virus, has been invoked with fear. Mm-hmm. And it has yep. really affected, I think, very young people, people that maybe aren't that well, that, that don't engage in a lot of critical thinking, and the older population. Right. And I'll give you an example. Went to a Lobo game the other day. I'm a big Lobo fan, UNM graduate. 13,000 people at the pit. Everyone has to wear their little oppression mask. I call it a face diaper. And I'm being facetious, but I really saw the older population almost being fearful right. about who they were sitting next to. And I'm not judging it. I'm just saying it, it's, it's an observation. It's an observation that particularly older people have really been invoked with this thing called fear of the Chinese virus. And again, right. I'm not judging it, but it has such an effect on even the way we socialize mm-hmm. or don't socialize. Right. and interact and all of that. So it's it's just had this enormous effect. And I'm using this kind of topic segue to kind of start moving into the virus itself, mm-hmm. what we call the Chinese virus. But the psychology of the disease, I think to your point, is something that I don't know we have enough conversation about in general anyway. Right. And and, and, and in some sense, you know, we, we are talking about the psychology and uh, in lay terms, I mean, you need a clinical psychologist to, to really dive, you know, deeply into the the sociological and psychological aspects. But I think you know we're we're pretty observant people and and uh, you know fairly well uh, rounded and educated that uh, you know we, we see how people's behaviors have changed during the uh, the time of uh, COVID, and uh, it has definitely affected you know. Uh, not you know not only us locally i mean it's, it's affected us nationally and internationally and so we you know have come up with many steps to mitigation and some of them have worked some of them haven't some of them are forestalling the inevitable and so 
Uh, but uh, again, you know, being able to embrace the um, the virus for what it is—that it's a communicable disease—that uh, you know, it's not something we necessarily want to pass on to somebody. But you know, we just like, and you you bring it up all the time. We still have to live our lives, and we still have to have an economy. We still have to we have do. a country. And all sides of the political spectrum, all of our policymakers, whether they're on the progressive side, the moderate Democrat, conservative, libertarian, ultra conservative, all those folks, I, and I'm using the word all mm -hmm. in an absolute term, that are the policymakers and the institutionalized bureaucrats who have a lot of influence have politicized it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. depending on what, where you're at on that spectrum, right. you, you're, 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 you're attaching a political agenda to it to serve your own needs. Right. Or your own purposes, and that's the for me that's the real sad tragedy of COVID or Chinese virus. Right, is the attachment that cannot be removed. Right, it's like getting tar on a white shirt. Yeah, it will not be removed going forward, and I don't know for how long, how many generations. Right, so you've got the disease itself or the virus itself, which is already pernicious and virulent, but then we have because it's part of the human experience. Read any point in history mm -hmm. and things get politicized to aggrandize power and wealth right. and it's it's been done and it can't be dis disassociated with right. the way we're in wherever we're at right interpreting and digesting the this thing called chinese virus or covid-19 right and 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 that's uh, and you bring up a good point in in when you look in human history and for as bad as this pandemic has been, and it is, it, it, it has been bad. It has devastated many, many lives. It's nothing like to what the the plague was back in the in the 1300s. Oh yeah, that, that devastated one third of uh, of Western Europe. Thirty million people, and we don't even right. know that number to be accurate. But we we we, we have a pretty good estimate. Yeah, thirty million. One out of three people, the Black Plague. Yep. Died. Yep. One out of three. This thing called the Chinese virus. You're in a doctor. Ninety-eight point nine percent survivability right right versus 33 percent you're gonna die right right well, that's a hell of a plague yeah and by the way the black plague as you know it was a 1340 something like that mm -hmm. it reoccurred like over the next hundred years two or three times yes it did yes it did uh and and obviously i think of the, the early 1300s that as you mentioned that it was the worst um but but uh it, it's one of those things we did survive as humans, uh, we began to understand it. We understood the mitigation steps. Finally, figured out that it was carried by rats. Um, I had heard, uh, and maybe this is anecdotal, but uh, that initially people thought it was cats, and so cats were considered evil. Um, and so they started killing all the cats, and the, and the pandemic got worse back in the 1300s with the black with the black plague. Uh, it turns out you need your cats to kill your rats yeah. to uh, to to. Uh, mitigate the plague. Yeah, you need your snakes and your rats and the rodents to, to, to or to take care of the, the those kinds of things. Right. And it was black because parts of your neck and eye sockets, whatever, turned black. Black. They they bled. Yeah, you actually bled. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're the the science guy. I'm Jeffrey Candelari, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelari. Was that more bacterial or viral? It's bacterial. Yeah, that was bacterial. Yes. So again, as we begin to dissect what a virus is. Remind your listeners, because people don't understand some of these basic terms. Right. A bacteria is a living 
organisms, a, a germ of some kind, like a yes. But a virus is not. So talk a Correct. little bit about those distinctions. Right. So let's let's initially talk about a, a bacteria, which, as you mentioned, is actually a, it's a living organism. And so, as a living organism, it has chemical processes, and it has uh, a, 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 a nucleus in the cell. It has uh, uh, genes in the cell that control the cellular functions. And a cell, and a cell has to metabolize some sort of energy source. And so, typically, uh, in, in in humans and our cells, we typically metabolize carb, um, sugars, proteins, and fats. And in a bacteria, they need to have some sort of of food supply. Uh, which typically is mostly uh, a sugar or a carbohydrate of some kind. Um, and But they are a living thing, um, and they divide um, uh, basically by fission. Uh, so you start with one, makes the two, makes the four, makes the eight, makes the 16, and they're all identical. Ex- exponential. It grows exponentially, yes. Ex- exponential extrapolation. Yeah. Only on straight talk with Jeffrey Cantley. <laughs> right, right. So, but a but a bacteria is living, and so we can we can mitigate uh, bacterial effects through the advent of antibiotics, which are primarily derived from funguses. Penicillin. Penicillin. Yeah, that was. Penicillin. Yeah. Yep. And those. Fleming, I think. Fleming. I believe you're right. And um, uh, but 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 that's how how bacteria is. Uh, so the are, Black Plague was a. Bacteria. It was and it was bubonic plague. Bubonic plague. So yes. just remember, folks, that that you know, per, pernicious, virulent. Right. One out of three people died in the period of about a hundred years. Think about that. One out of three dead. So thirty-three percent uh, mortality rate. Right. That was a bacteria. Right. The Chinese virus is a virus. Genetic. It, it it it's in the part of the genetic material, right? So talk about the distinction there. Right. So so a virus is not considered to be actually alive, yeah. but a virus has to have a host of some kind to be able to uh, replicate and divide. And so what a virus does, it's basically a a chemical factory of of genetic material that has to find a host to invade, and by invading that host, it then takes over the cell's biology. Uh, to to manufacture more of the proteins and more of the genetic material, basically causing the uh, replication of all the viruses within a cell. Eventually, the cell has to explode because of it literally erupts the new newly grown viruses out to other parts of the tissue in the body, and so that's a, a virus grows. Uh, you, know, you can almost call it a, a hyper hyper uh, geometric explosion because it can it can grow much more rapidly than a bacteria can so it's a lot more replicatable yes more expeditiously than a bacteria yes yes but it has to have a host of some kind to be able to to replicate so again folks a bacteria you you treat bacteria like the bubonic plague with a penicillin that kind of thing a virus is not subject to that no because it takes over the apparatus the mechanics of a cell kind of exactly the apparatus so think apparatus mechanics of a cell right versus the actual uh, germ living material the cell itself right okay right right. interesting yeah and so and so uh the virus in this case because covid is on everybody's mind uh over the last two years what the covid does is it actually attacks the the lung tissue by way of attaching to our, our lung tissue has a certain receptor called the ACE2 receptor. And so the spike protein on this coronavirus 
attaches to the ACE2 receptor and the, 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 the cellular mechanism brings that virus into the cell and then it basically it is fooled into bringing it in yeah. and then it, then it takes over the, that, that cell and then the tissues. So in the think lungs. of it like Velcro. Yeah. Right? It's, oh, it's very much like Velcro. Wow, I should be on TV. Uh, the, the image of the Chinese virus is the ball with the little projectiles. Right. That's the Velcro projectile. Yes. It'll attach to the AC2 the, the, receptor in your lung. Right. That's how it actually attaches and does and takes over the mechanics or the apparatus of those lung cells. Right, right. And so and so that's what happens with uh, Why don't people talk about this like on television or radio? I mean seriously, because we don't ever get these kinds of explanations. I'm not trying to be it's all about the show here. I'm just saying it just bugs the hell out of me that folks don't talk about some of these right. fundamental mechanics of these things we are living with and dying with all the time. Right. Well, I'm just asking your opinion. Yeah. I, I digress. I, I, I think because uh, uh, people unfortunately lose interest instead of being able to understand what happens. They just want the science and the doctors to fix it. Hmm. It's like, uh, you know, your, your car, you know, you, you can run your car into the ground. You take it to the mechanic and you say, fix it. And the mechanic will say, will say why, didn't, why didn't you ever change the oil? Okay. Um, so you just think people just aren't that interested in the fundamentals or the rudiments of the right of, of a problem, whatever it may be to begin with. Right. That's kind of what I, what my suspicion is. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think that's why we're so easily manipulated. You know, we're so pliable and easily manipulated as a society. And these dumbbell politicians on both sides recognize what you just said. Mm-hmm. And we're easily manipulated because we're just a bunch of dumb sheep that never ask these questions. Right. Anyway, let's move on. So that's how it attaches Right. The first manifestation was what I call the Chinese virus COVID. Then you had the Delta. So the the Delta incarnation was kind of what? Well, actually, let me back up to the Alpha okay. the Alpha variant. So yeah. so so you had you had the original. Um, uh, then the Alpha variant came out of the UK. Uh, I think last uh, or, or about three or four months after the the original began to spread around the world. And so uh, the variant, uh, they talk about the variants and, and uh, the, the um, epidemiologists use um, Greek letters to alphabetize. Alpha, beta, delta, gamma, exactly. pi, rho. And, and so alpha being number one was the, was the first variant. Yeah, think uh, alpha, beta, alphabet. Yep, alpha, yeah. exactly. And so delta was the fourth variant that was identified. Now we're all the way out to Omicron, which is the 15th. I think they skipped a couple of Greek letters because they didn't want to offend uh, Kai, Chi, or somebody. The I'm serious, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Uh, I think they skipped over Chi because of the prime minister of China. Oh. And they didn't want to offend that guy. So, okay. again, politics again. Maybe. So, uh, absolutely a letter or two were skipped in the uh, Greek alphabet. Well, yeah, the, 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 the Greek letter Xi, uh, which is... We would typically write as XI would be the same as uh, yeah. President Xi yeah. in China, but uh, I just assumed it was since Omicron is the fifteenth letter is the fifteenth variant, right? Remember, hurricanes were always named after women until twenty years ago. Yeah. So then, you know, to be politically correct, they started whoever they is, started actually, naming male names to hurricanes. So right. the point is, these things actually have all of these political implications. Even oh, even yeah. the naming of a hurricane or the naming of the various incarnations of the Chinese virus right. are politicized. Yeah. Anyway, 
So then you had the Alpha, then we moved into Delta. And Delta was the next variant of concern. So a lot of the variants don't change the aspect of the virus very much, but you get a certain set that they changed enough in either their transmissibility, their virility, uh, their ability to resist uh, uh, treatment, uh, that they, they become variants of concern. So Alpha was the first variant of concern. Delta was the next one. Um, it turns out Alpha was um, about um, uh, two and a half more times transmissible than the original variant that came out. And so, and then Delta was another uh, 60 to 100% more transmissible than the Alpha. So we're, we're, we're increasing the transmissibility effect by just exponentially. For our listeners, again, Dr. Eric Dahl, Jeffrey Candler here, just because something is more transmissible doesn't mean it's more virulent in and of Not itself. Not necessarily, right, yeah. right. It just means that it, uh, the, more, the increase in transmissibility just means that, it, so if you had a fourfold increase of transmissibility where one person during the course of his illness may have been able to infect three people, if it's four times more virulent, they'll probably infect 12 people. But I just think it's so important to dissect these conversations this way because I think a lot of folks think just because something's more transmissible that, it's, that it has the equal pernicious weight that it had in its earlier incarnation. Yeah. And the two are, are supper, separated. They may, they may be moved apart, right. And so with Omicron, that's currently of, of concern. They, it's so early, we don't know. It's, they think it's more transmissible, but they don't know if it is as um, virulent or, or uh, causes a, a severe disease. That's still open to debate. Apparently, That's the best research I could find before coming into the show. So that part is still kind of, uh, you know, un unknown. Uh, but what they're really concerned about with the, with the Omicron and some of the preliminary research is they think it may have actually developed as a um, meld uh, with another coronavirus of the common cold. Uh, there are seven types of coronaviruses out there, four of which cause the common cold. Uh, the fifth one caused uh, the original SARS virus back in, uh, I believe it was 2003. Uh, that was contained, thank God. Uh, the sixth uh, coronavirus was the one that caused MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, yep. back in 2010. And now the seventh coronavirus that's identified into humans is our current SARS-2 COVID. As we begin to conclude, what is your contact information again? Uh, yes, uh, uh, Apollo Chiropractic, Health and Wellness, and our phone number is 505-792-3311. And I'm located on Albuquerque's west side. So again, folks, the cold is a virus. The common cold yes. is a virus. And there's no cure for a virus that we know of. Right. We can cure or mitigate bacterial illnesses like strep throat, things like that. Right. But I'm also told that even the bacteria, the streptococcus, all of that, that it's building over time resistance toward the amoxicillins and the penicillins. Right. So it's always about life wants to survive. Yes. Life, more than anything, anything else, look at a cockroach, a yep. rat, R-A-T. Wa we want to survive right. if you're alive. Right. And that's why this thing is so recalcitrant, right? Right. Good word. Yeah. Recalcitrant, difficult to kill, whether it's the bacteria or, in this case, the Chinese virus in its many incarnations. Because even it wants to survive. Right, right. And that's and that's just the, the nature of uh, whether, it's, whether, it's, whether it's actually alive, like such as ourselves, or bacteria, or fungi, or semi-alive, like, like a virus, or a, uh, even, even 
you know, something that causes bad cows is called a prion, which is even more, mundo, more fundamental. Uh, it's just genetic material that, that causes the protein sequences to constantly repeat and it actually destroys the brain. Um, but the, um, it's Darwinism at its finest that uh, there's always going to be a niche out there for a new variant, a new species, a new subspecies to uh, take over. Well, and, you know, most people misinterpret Darwin, origin of the species, 1859, on the USS Beagle when he was studying the finches off of, uh, I believe, South America. See, I studied. Galapagos Islands. Galapagos Islands. And he recognized finches had a very particular way of surviving by using tools and all of that, the niche. Right. But it isn't survival of the fittest. It's, it's, it's survival of, or not the strongest, it's the survival of who can adapt the most. It is. It is. So his premise tends to be misinterpreted. That is true. That it's not the survival of the strongest. It's the survival of who can adapt most to conditions like a virus is demonstrating. Right. right. And so we extrapolate what, what does this all mean to the average straight talk with Jeffrey Kendall, our listener? I think the point is, the Chinese virus is not going to go away. No. We're going to have to figure out and tell these fat don't-eating politicians, don't-eating politicians, we want to live our lives. How can we do it without you shutting down our businesses, without you dictating to our little kids that they have to be vaccinated with 18 booster shots over the next 10 years? We need to mitigate the risk and live with this thing called Chinese virus. Would you agree with that? I would. I would largely agree with that. Yes. Um, I largely I, agree. Okay. <laughs> I do have to give the caveat. I, I do. I, I am a supporter of this uh, particular round of uh, of immunizations. And in general, I'm not a I'm not a huge immunization person. Um, mostly with how we immunize our children. Um, in my opinion, that we tend to we begin immunization of children too young in life. Um, but in this case, um, it. Uh, the, the immunizations do largely appear to, it doesn't kill the virus. It doesn't completely remove us from the threat of disease, it, but it certainly helps our immune system in, in fighting the virus if we should contract it. And that's the big thing is being able to prevent uh, going into a hospital, onto a respirator, and God forbid, dying from it. Yeah. Well, we were told, you know, by the powers that be that uh, this was what a year, almost two years ago, you get the virus when it when it's put forth. By the way, Trump accelerated the virus, and you never hear Biden giving Trump any credit for it. But anyway, we were told <laughs> yeah. even under that administration, Trump's administration, you get the virus by Fauci or Fauci, whatever that guy, they get the virus, you go back to your, to your life. So right. what we found out is the collective we in science, mm-hmm. that it wasn't as effective as we thought right. because this virus is so recalcitrant. Yes, yes, and, and, that, and that is a fair statement. Uh, what the what uh, the virus or what the vaccine uh, has been able to help do again is is to prevent the onset of serious illness. Uh, it has provided some people with with pure immunity, and again, the, the amount of a virus you get on an initial an initial inoculation, being around somebody that may have breathed on you very heavily, uh, versus somebody that that you just got a, a little bit of the whiff of of somebody's uh, a transmission. Uh, that has a large part to do with how virulent the disease is. And you talked about, uh, as we begin to conclude, Jeffrey Candler here with uh, Dr. Eric Dahl, co-owner of Public Chiropractic. Omicron, the newest incarnation of the Chinese virus. By the way, is it, is it con, uh, concomitantly, 
in in our in our midst with Alpha Delta? Are they all yes. in our midst now? So in other words, you have the original Chinese virus right. manifestation, Alpha Delta Omicron, all these incarnations of this monster right. called Chinese virus are all concomitantly in our world. Right. And so what tends to happen is the what what becomes the most uh, transmissible transmissible becomes the most dominant. And so basically by becoming the most dominant, uh, it squeezes out the other variants. Now, the other variants are still present, but they're going to be to a much lesser degree than, than the one that's most transmissible. So the Omicron, the latest incarnation, it effectively then begins to supplant the other incarnations of the Chinese virus? Right, right. Interesting. Right. It, it's so, almost like a competition for resources. Okay, but if... Well, there could be some good news here on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Gantler because from what I've heard, early representation of science who study Omicron are saying the uh, effects are much more mild. Perhaps, yes. So if that is the case, then that could be some good news in this thing called... Believe it or not, that could be some good Chinese news. Virus? Is if if is is if the manifestation of the disease is is less severe, um, and it becomes more common, then people will probably suffer less severe symptoms and acquire the immunity necessary to beat out the other uh, variants that are out there. The latest incarnation called Omicron Chinese virus, and you said this earlier, but I want you to kind of fill in a few gaps. It may share the same genetic code as the common cold. That's what they've been finding uh, is that um, some of the new proteins that they're finding and some of the new genetic material may be linked to the common cold. Uh, it's And that sounds more anecdotal at this point than being able to, to uh, have that definitively determined. Yeah. And what I also understand, doctor, is the Spanish flu 100 years ago, mm -hmm. a little more than 100 years ago, was more virulent than Chinese virus. We know that. The common cold, it's my understanding, is really the lingering product of the Spanish flu. Uh, or, or, the, well, or, the, or the flu. The flu. There the, you go. Sorry right, about that. Right, the flu, yeah. So the flu, what we call the flu that you know rears its ugly head every November, December, right. is really a lingering product of the Spanish flu. Well, it, it, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the lingering product of the Spanish flu because the flu has been with us for millennia. Uh, and every year, and they, there's a nomenclature system, N, uh, uh, N, N3 something, uh, and it just eludes me at this moment. But the um, uh, Spanish flu itself was very virulent, very deadly, but it too evolved into a milder form. And, and, and again, we're still talking the, the different variants of the flu because the, the flu is a highly mutatable virus. And so that's why the, the epidemiologists have to try to predict year to year which vaccine to hand out or, or create uh, to, to offset the, um, what they're predicting to be the, the dominant strain of the flu every year. But, but the flu, much like the corona, this, this, these variants out of the coronavirus, the flu is even more mutatable than, than the coronavirus appears to be. So say that again. The, co the common the flu common flu is more mutatable, uh, more mutable, I guess. I'm not sure of the right proper term, but uh, uh, then, pro then probably the coronavirus is. Then, again, the answer is going to be political, unfortunately. Why did we, as a country, as a world, particularly Western world, 
Europe, United States, not so much China, not so much those areas of the world. Why did we get so fixated on this thing called the Chinese virus? So every day in the paper, you're reading how many mm-hmm. cases there are and whatever. When the flu itself, the flu that we've been, in a sense, living and dying with over the last, like you say, millennia, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we don't make such a big deal of it. We don't make such a big deal of breast cancer. We don't make a big deal of driving drunk. Mm-hmm. We don't make a big deal of people. You know, more people die in swimming pools than, than, uh, than AK, AK-47 deaths. Mm-hmm. Why? And it's a political answer, of course. Right. Why did we get so fixated on this thing called Chinese virus that only kills less than 1.2% of people who, by the way, already had comorbidities to begin with? Right. There are a lot of people that had, had the comorbidities. And uh, I think what, what uh, in terms of the, of the pandemic is, is because the virus, again, it was e- very easily transmissible. And because the um, therapies... And we've gotten much better at the therapies too, and with the anticlonal, uh, anti, the monoclonal antibodies uh, therapy, and now Pfizer has come up with a, a pharmaceutical type of therapy that acts as an inhibitor on one of the enzymes in the coronavirus. And so these are steps along the way to uh, uh, treat the virus. Initially, when 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 this came out, there was no effective therapies, uh, and so it uh, devastated people's immune systems very quickly. And uh, I think it, because it, it was such a, a horrific um, way to die, uh, and so it, be, it basically took over our public uh, public thought. Well, I don't think it took. I, I, I don't. I think the people in power on both sides made us made us as a society singularly made it the first agenda item before anything happens. I think mm-hmm. they wanted us to be so ubiquitously aware of this thing called Chinese virus that it dominated every aspect of our lives so they could dominate. Mm-hmm. And I'm editorializing. Mm-hmm. And, and here's an actual example. Your business, far removed from Washington, D.C., has been severely affected mm-hmm. monetarily because of this thing called Chinese virus. By, by your own admission, right? your patients are somewhat afraid you're also had staff issues, still living with staff issues. Yes. So yes. your business has been affected by, forget the right. disease itself. Right, right. And, and as a business person, as we begin to conclude here, it had and has continued to have effects on all of our lives. Right. Beyond the actual perniciousness of the disease itself. Right. Uh, and that's, and that's and that, again, and you talk about the political aspect and, um, uh, not only the, the political aspect, but, you know, our socioeconomic system. And so we have just been able to, you know, try to be able to carry on with our business as good as possible. But the, um, uh, impact has definitely been with, uh, supply chain issues, uh, labor chain issues and, uh, inflation that is now, uh, becoming a dominant, uh, force within the American economy. And so being able to keep up with all those things is, is somewhat challenging. So as a business person, you and your wife run Apollo Chiropractic. I'm one of your clients. Uh, you had, and until just recently, it almost took you, what, a year or uh, multiple months to even rehire massage therapists, those kinds of things. Yes. Supply 
chain issue there, even for somebody like you right. who has a very credible functional operation. Right. So, you know, the supply of, uh, the supply of qualified uh, personnel to fill, you know, key positions within our business. And, um, I know we're not the only ones. Uh, I was uh, just talking with a, uh, auto mechanic this morning and he, he runs an auto shop. He's had it for 30 some years. And, uh, he goes, I'm the only one in the shop right now because I can't find qualified mechanics. that want to come back to work. Yeah. Well, all of us have anecdotally as we're operating our daily lives, we see the signs really literally everywhere. Hiring now, hiring yep. now, hiring now. And it's interesting because I'm wondering where are all those people that had those jobs before because unemployment and those ancillary benefits ended. Right. Where, where are they at? That's a good question. Well, when one economist told me, and again, it's somewhat anecdotal as we begin to wind down. Thank you, Eddie Otagon, for producing the show. A lot of folks are maximizing their credit cards. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks did save some of that money. And some of those folks are still on unemployment, even at a reduced level of benefit. Right. But at some point, even that's going to run out. And I think we're mm-hmm. going to have some economic upheaval. Right. Because those folks are going to want to come back to certain jobs and people like you have figured out other ways to be more efficient with your operations. Again, Dr. Eric Dahl, it's been a pleasure. Your contact information as we conclude. Yes. uh, Paula Chiropractic Health and Wellness, 505-792-3311. Jeffrey Candelaria, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Merry Christmas, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Eddie Aragon.